Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we break down the Critics' Choice winners. We review Cherry and Craig Brewer from Coming to America 2 is our guest. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 156 of Real Blend, a podcast that wants to know, uh, hey, Kevin, did you know the alternate title? Uh, that Tim Burton had for Edward Scissorhands. I don't know that, Sean, but I, uh, I'm ready for you to, to deliver this line to me. <laughs> Jake, do you know? I quit. The Rider Cut <laughs> with the Panora uh, Rider. <laughs> no, wait, that, that doesn't make any sense. No, that makes sense. It's just not funny. Winona well, Rider. The Rider, but Rider didn't direct. No, no, no. Uh, Winona Rider and Edward Scissorhands. No, the show's she... starting off great. <laughs> Damn it! Can we start over? <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director, editor. I still don't get it. Here at Cinema Blend. It's the ride. She's been on a writer. She's it rhymes the, with Snyder, and she's the in the writer movie. cut. And his, oh. and, his hands, and his hands cut things. And his hands, scissor hands. Edward oh, scissor hands. See, but she doesn't have like, scissors in the... The rider cut. I thought that was a... I was looking for like a Burton joke because it was the director. I was confused. Nope. The best okay. jokes are the ones you have to explain. This is going Several really minutes well. Afterwards. This is going really well. On this week's show, uh, we're going to discuss the Critics' Choice winners. We are going to give our reviews of Joe and Anthony Russo's film Cherry, starring Tom Holland. And we have an interview with Coming to America 2, Coming to America, director Craig Brewer. And it is spoiler-filled. So um, we'll talk about that when we get a little bit to it. And by we, I mean uh, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hey, Sean. Jake. Gabe. Good to be with you. That was such Good an enthusiastic wave. And uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. Hi, buddy. Jake's got his murder cup today. So no, I hope you're it's, watching it's, us. It's a red rum mug, but if right. you're watching us on Zoom, it, you know it flips the image. And so ironically, it turns my red rum mug into a murderer mug. Jake, where did you get that mug? I got this from the hotel from Dumb and Dumber. Oh, is that really the hotel where yeah. Tom Dumber was shot? Yeah. I forgot about that. The Stanley. You guys got to look up Jake's package. Um, and by that, I mean his video package on YouTube. Uh, from This is a Shining. weird episode. <laughs> this, is, this one's kind of off the rails already. <laughs> if you are watching us on YouTube, uh, hello. Thank you for watching our visual aspect of the show. Uh, hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications every time we post a new video. Uh, you guys will be able to come over and watch it. You'll be able to watch Craig Brewer sitting down with Kevin and I. And he tells an amazing story. About James Earl Jones and Eddie Murphy. That's so crazy. That's filming so their crazy. scenes together. But we will save that for uh, Craig Brewer. If you're listening to us where you get your audio podcast needs met, please go over and um, go to the description down below. It'll tell you where to go to YouTube. Uh, it'll also tell you how you can sign up for our Real Blend premium episodes, which we do every single week. And we drop them on Monday. Get your ad-free versions of the podcast an extra segment and then a newsletter that I do every other Friday. You can go to bit.ly. I've never gotten slash real blend premium. Um, did you unsubscribe? I don't think I ever subscribed. We should like automatically subscribe. You would like, think as a I host, would, you should. I'd pump my own money into this show. They are entertaining reads. 
Uh, and, and a lot of times they have like questions that people can play along with as well, too. I make a movie of the week recommendation in each of them, too. So, yeah, you're missing out, Jake. I, well, to your credit, and, and I know I give you a hard time a lot, but but I think people are really just now realizing this after diving into your book. You're a hell of a writer, sir. They, I hope that they're now realizing that <laughs> some people are uh, are regretting their decision to put down some money on my book. No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, this weekly poll. Oh, this is gonna be a fun one. All right, so we started a conversation no, on the premium episode, and I'll just come out and say I lost. I lost. It's fine. We wanted to settle. Uh, the most iconic piece of music uh, composed by John Williams. And we broke it down by franchises, essentially. We put Star Wars, Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and other. Kevin, do you know which one won of those? Star Wars, uh, Superman, Raiders, or other? I'm going to guess Star Wars, just because of our audience. Star Wars dominated. 64.3%. At least I got second place because I put myself out there saying that I thought Superman was his most iconic. My and I favorite even... part is that people <laughs> chimed in and said that Superman shouldn't have even been an option. That's that ridiculous. Jaws, that Jaws had, and it, Jaws had a much better right to be an option than Superman. If, if one of the four options had to be other and we had to name three, Jaws should have taken the place of Superman. Jaws should have taken the place of Raiders. No. If that's the case. No. No, no sir. You guys do not, you don't understand how iconic the Superman theme I, I is. I think I understand you, 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 to a percentage so. exactly how iconic Superman is. We understand you, how you, iconic it is, but you said it was the most iconic John Williams score. Which yeah, is the, the, right. The, 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 the it's, it's not even in the, in the, the top di- three. The, the difference in this argument is that we're not saying the Superman theme isn't iconic. Right. We're saying, we're arguing with you that it's not his most iconic. It's not even his, not, his top 10 I'm most iconic. I would well, say top 10. I would say top 10. You know what I'm... I'm it has to be top 10. Not what top game? 5. Not top 5. It's not top 5. Okay. I, I, one thing I am su- about this poll that I'm surprised about, I would think that with such a vague option like Other, with so much work from John Williams, that that wouldn't be... It came in last place. Yeah. That there wouldn't be a bunch of others that just got all of those votes well i think also to be fair i think sean and i kind of set this narrative of um star wars arguing on social media yeah yeah and it was basically honestly i think it was basically like the fight between star wars versus superman very true and then i think people kind of forgot even though i do think most people would agree that raiders is more iconic than superman i think the battle online became became Star Wars. I mean, like, Sean even yeah. tried to cheat by by bringing the Snyder Cut movement over to help him out. And even the Snyder Cut movement was basically no. like, dude, it's Star Wars. Yeah, they were. A lot the of trade. them came out well, and I, mean, said, but no, I, I wasn't Star quite Wars. sure, like, how that was going to help your case because John Williams' Superman score, aside from being used very softly in Man of Steel, doesn't really have anything to do with... Well, but with they the DCEU. Are, they're, they're DC, DC fans. fans. They're just DC fans in general. And many of but them... But are they fans of, like, Dick Donner's Superman movies? Or are they fans of Snyder Superman movies? Yeah, I didn't realize you were on a, a first-name Dick Donner basis with Sir Richard Donner. <laughs> just throwing it around like that. Um, the other one that I think that we left off, which was somewhat embarrassingly, is uh, Jurassic Park. Like, Jurassic Park yep. probably should have been on this list. Jurassic Park? He's got, too many, he's got too many... Harry Potter? Lists. Harry Potter. To that end, like I am kind of stunned that other didn't do better. Like, yeah, other probably should have done. Well, because thinking. it became an argument between it became I less. It, it became like Jake versus Sean, and Jake won. 
it kind of shows how much fun this audience has and shows how geeky our, our listeners are. When we go technical, like when we get into like a composer or cinematographer or some such, we get a lot of really good interactions. Well, so. one of the best uh, interviews that we've had in recent memory is a result of Kevin, and it was uh, uh, Ludwig. And yeah, he it, was you awesome. know, Because we got to ask the kinds of questions that, um, one, we normally don't get to ask, one, to the kind of person we don't get at Junkets, and ask the kind of like technical nerdy questions and and that was because kevin tracked him down and, and brought him onto the show yeah he was so cool. kev you don't think he's gonna get an oscar nomination ludwig no no ludwig yeah. will get nominated i was we were oh. talking about cinematographers earlier the oh i think the only major award that tenant will get nominated for is probably score okay yeah yeah such he's- a bummer he feels like one of those composers that just other composers composers admire now. Plus, you know, he won for Black Panther. He's in that Oscar circle. He mm-hmm. it's it got a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, it's a phenomenal score. People are listening to it outside of the film um, yeah. a lot. So I think it's gonna. I think it's made traction there. But the uh, people don't like Tenant. We know that. Like just from a general overall but the cinematography. Perspective. Oh, it's like no, the, like the red and the blue. There, listen. There's no question. I mean, listen. We all know it's an amazing film, but. I mean, Christopher Nolan deserves a Best Director nomination, but he's not going to get one. He deserves a Best Picture nomination. Not going to get one. So, All right. Well, a lot of people this weekend caught up with uh, Coming to America, the sequel that was several years in the making. And you guys actually both have fantastic interviews uh, with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall that people need to check out on the YouTube page. And we got a chance to speak with Craig Brewer. And right off the bat, we kind of realized, oh, I guess this is going to be spoiler talk because he started telling us some really great in-depth stories about the making of this film. And uh, we had mentioned a couple of things that we had heard from Eddie uh, about Tracy Morgan and his casting. And that just unleashed uh, a sort of cavalcade of Coming to America spoilers. And so we held this for the week after. We told you guys to watch it in last week's episode. And so hopefully you checked out Coming to America and you can now dive right into our interview with Craig Brewer. If for whatever reason you haven't watched it yet and you want to skip ahead, there'll be timestamps that will let you guys know where to pick up with the show on the other side. This is a little bit melancholic to ask it this way, but as I was watching the movie, there were moments that felt to me like you were building up toward um a crowd break uh the way that wesley gets introduced uh you know leading up to with all of his accomplishments and and then him showing up on screen or morgan freeman introducing salt and pepper you know i just knew that like on opening night like the crowd would be going crazy for all that uh were you editing thinking about you know how this is going to play in front of a crowd uh constantly yeah i mean it, it was it when we were making the movie like the joy that that uh that I had watching Dolomite is my name with a, with a packed house was like something that I hadn't experienced in a long time, you know, where, where people are shouting and screaming and cheering. And this is the movie that I knew that we were going to have that as well, because you're seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time. I mean, I even, I even remember doing like this push in on Arsenio Hall the first time you see him. And I go, guys, we haven't seen Semi in more than 30 years. He gets the crane. Let's bring <laughs> let's bring out the crane. You know, this is going to be a moment where like people will be like, oh, there's Arsenio, you know. It's but um I you know, it's funny, the the more I started working on the movie during during COVID, um uh it changed mm. I, my my feelings about it uh went through a real journey where i mourned the fact that we probably weren't going to be in a theater and if we were going to be in a theater it might be 
later, like years later, and maybe okay. a diminished type of experience then to being, you know, a person who with my, my kids and my, you know, family, I would see these new uh, premieres happening on Netflix or on Amazon or on Apple. And I'd get my family together and we'd watch, you know, uh, let him go with Kevin Costner. You know, we would, we, we, we'd watched different movies that were premiering. And then I thought like, man, they're, you know, after Borat, I was like, that was fun. That was yeah. fun. I think I needed Borat at that moment. And then I started thinking differently about coming to America right. uh, in this, in this climate. And I, I started thinking like, well, maybe Craig, the heartbreak is now turning into something a little bit more hopeful. And maybe, maybe this could be where like you get grandma, you get your kids, everybody like makes their own, like, you know, Zamundan cupcakes or whatever they're going to make. And then they, and then they get together and have a good time with, with the family again, with, with coming to America, with the coming to America family. Yeah. Borat's a great comparison because I honestly thought about that movie a lot, watching your, watching your film and thinking about how they, they both seem to be coming at the right time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Barb and Star. We were talking about that the other day, how much we loved Barb and Star, which was really, really funny and kind of a yeah. comedy we needed. Um, you know, Craig, I, I think what you've done from a technical standpoint, going into that barbershop again is just incredible. And you think back to the original film in 88 and what Rick Baker did with the effects, obviously, and it's truly amazing. I, I'm assuming technically those scenes probably weren't too much different to shoot because it's still practical makeup. I'm assuming you have you have Eddie Murphy, you have multiple characters being played by the same actors and scenes, but you have this really cool wonder that kind of goes from the side uh, as we're looking at everybody in the in the barbershop. And I wanted to ask specifically about the technical aspects of shooting a scene like that. What the one Eddie Murphy is looking at when the other Eddie Murphy is in the scene. Like, can you talk about just kind of constructing that and kind of, was well, it different technically? Uh, I'll tell you, I, and, and the, the, the great thing about y'all's, you know, about what, what you do with, with your website and with everything is that, you know, you really can give credit where it's due. And uh, luckily I had an effects uh, supervisor uh, by the name of John Farhat, who's worked with Eddie before on, um, on a Dr. Doolittle. And uh, I remember him saying like, we need, we need that shot that sells the world of, of the, of the, the barbershop guys. And so every time I see that shot, as a matter of fact, there was a time where the editor, I think cut the shot in half and did a reaction. And I was like, hold on mm -hmm. now, you know, that, that John did a lot of work to make sure that this is all going to go in one one -er. So I really wow. want to give it up to him. For that but i will say that um you know you know you've got your actors in makeup for eight hours and so you know you're 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 then having to just really get to work but it was particularly i mean i always tell the story that you know kenya barris was on set that day and you know i mean kenya's you know not necessarily like it doesn't it, it, not much i think you know, phases him. He, he, he's, he's, he's not one to, to giggle, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but when Eddie and Arsenio and, uh, you know, when, when, when Clarence and Morris and sweets walked into an exact replica of the barbershop, we turned to each other. We just were like, <laughs> like, we just, we just totally turned into like teenagers, you know, just like giggling about this. And, and, and so it was, it was a big day for everybody on the crew to see that, 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 that shop. But technically speaking, though, how how do you achieve a shot? Like, like I, I always remember um, Nutty Professor, obviously, with the table. And I remember uh, I was lucky enough to interview Eddie Murphy on a carpet for the Mark Twain Awards uh, uh, years ago. And he, he 
walk me through technically how they did it. It was a tennis ball to his left. He would shoot every scene. John would would place these tennis balls up and then you would use what's called a motion control camera. So the camera is doing the exact same move over and over again. It's really difficult because that means that Eddie is in makeup as one character on the first day. And then you've got to duplicate that shot on the second day where Eddie's in a completely different character makeup. And he's got an earwig where he's hearing his dialogue that Clarence did the day before. So Eddie's essentially acting against himself with his own dialogue, but the timing of it is always like very difficult to do. Um, And, you know, the same can be said with, you know, uh, some of the de-aging shots that we, that we were doing in in the flashback sequences and, uh, and and a few other times in the movies. It's, it's challenging, but when it works, it's, it's very rewarding. Seamless. Yeah. Um, Eddie told us during the the press day, we got him for a TV slot and he had mentioned something to us that I had to ask you to follow up on. He said through multiple drafts early on, uh, Tracy Morgan was going to play the son and that they had to sort of uh, they couldn't marry the fact that Tracy was going to be Leslie's son. Um, There's even a bigger story. Okay, I'm always hesitant to bring up these stories. And then I hear that Eddie has said the story (laughs) and I feel like and I feel like now the door is open. Because, yeah. like, uh, you know, we, we talk about like the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know, but like James Earl Jones and Eddie and Arsenio and all those, they were never in the same room. You know, we had no, what? Oh, uh, really? Like the, the, the bedroom sequence? Like never in the same room. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I had to go to New York and film um, uh, James Earl Jones. Wow. And I, I was, I was Eddie and Arsenio all day i acted all day with james earl jones i was what? on camera uh, uh dealing with him and and i never like to bring up these stories because it totally like it messes everybody up because they're like oh god it was so tender and everything but like that's just what great acting is Wait, the funeral too they're the funeral not together too. the funeral too as a matter of fact as a matter of i get emotional every time i watch the funeral sequence because um on the day uh, I was there with James Earl Jones as he was talking to Eddie, as he, as he, I'm sure this is coming out after the movie comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he passes. And, and I couldn't help it. I mean, I was raised on Star Wars and Lion King and, and, and Claudine. And so I, I, I remember him, he's saying it to me, you know, he's not saying it to Eddie. And I, I couldn't call cut because my lip was quivering, quivering. I had a, had a lump in my throat. But um, Tracy was supposed to be the son. And, and Eddie had talked to me about that a couple of times and he would love to kind of do Tracy Morgan do, being the son, you know, um, he would do his impersonation. was like, well, I got a father, you know, he would, and it was funny right at the time, but yeah. then, but then he gave me the script and, 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 and I said, Eddie, come on now, man, this, this isn't really going to work. I don't think, I mean, I love Tracy Morgan, but like, I think that what people want is they want to see a a real representation of like who your son would be. That's kind of what everybody's going to be asking. Well, who's going to be the son of Eddie Murphy in this this movie? Yeah. It's a huge role. It's a huge role. it, it, It is. And so he goes, he'll play general Izzy. And, and I was like, Okay, Eddie, here's another problem. <laughs> so, so every time there was like an Eddie suggestion, I was in this really difficult position of like not liking it, right? And like going like, well, here's my only problem with that is that I kind of want to believe that you're actually afraid of General Izzy. And I just don't know if Tracy necessarily brings any type of menace to anything. Yeah. And we had just done Dolomite is my name. And I said, 
Eddie, Wesley. And he was like, oh my God, Wesley would be great. So we immediately moved on to that. So we were working on the script and there was something kind of missing from the script. And Eddie just said, wait a minute. He needs an uncle. He needs Uncle Reem. Because we had a cousin that was written in that role. And suddenly it was like everything fell into place. And I was like, I know where you're going here, boss. <laughs> okay, you know who'd be really good is this Uncle Reem? And he goes, Tracy Morgan. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the money right there. That's what we're going to do. And Tracy's awesome in it. Like Tracy's really great in it. The, the yeah. moments between him and Arsenio, are, I could just watch them all day long. That's so funny. Very you know, funny. Craig, one of the things I found interesting, I revisited the first one uh, recently, which is rated R, and yours is PG-13. And um, some of the bits in the first one, like they use the F word, like when he goes outside of the building and he's like talking in New York and someone says F you to him. And like, those are some funny moments. And I just wondered, like, were, were there r-rated versions of the script what what, what was the decision process yeah, no, we, we shot we shot everything without any sort of we, we would do of course we would do like tv versions but we we made a movie that was not necessarily bound by a rating but it's funny because i i noticed that you know i'm, I'm like everybody else i'll i'll look at twitter and online and people going like oh my god what a travesty you know this movie's pg-13 and right. they've ruined it but i would just i would just argue that that's not really true um mm -hmm. if you're really a fan of the of the first coming to america because it's Eddie all about family that, it's a grounded film it's not it's, it's kind of a fairy tale it has yeah. like a little bit of this fairy tale theme but the, the 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 fairy tale element in the first movie that was so great was that that ed akeem eddie's akeem was very kind uh innocent and naive gentle but he came to queens and mm. queens was not and he loved everything that was even awful about Queens. And that was the humor in it. Whereas Zamunda was kind of bookended, you know, mm. of the movie. And now we're, we've reversed it. Now Queens is kind of bookending Zamunda. And one thing that Eddie was always really big on is like, hey man, don't get like caught up in this crude thing, you know? And we just made Dolomite. We're not, we're not <laughs> great motherfuckers or, you know, we're, 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 we, we laid into that shit. But like, but now, um, you know, he was like, you know, just, just remember, you know, I want to, we want to capture that fairy tale feeling that was in the original movie. And so um, the more we tested it, the more it just felt better in this pocket, you know, uh, this was not some sort of cash grab and definitely now that it's on Amazon, it isn't. So we haven't, you know, we haven't felt a desire to like, you know, filthy it up or anything like that because it just didn't feel like it was the same movie and, and i felt tonally we're still in the same world like even with dolomite even though it was r it's the grounded nature of the emotion and the characters and the arcs that make these films so great the comedy is funny because the drama's uh real and i think the at the end of the day coming to america is about family especially this one uh I, considering I, his I'm daughter's very movie. pleased yeah. that you mentioned that because that was like the big thing that i was telling her about i was like look i was in high school when i saw the first coming to america and it was a big movie for me and my dad well my dad isn't around anymore but now i have like kids that are in high school and 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 i'm repeating that process now with them yeah. watching this movie but how great that the narrative is about this as well like eddie himself in the movie akeem himself is now a parent and that's not what he was in the first movie and mm -hmm. just like every parent that wants their kids to be safe and wants there to be peace and everything like that you know, he, uh, you know, that you, you find that maybe some of the ideals that you had when you were like young, maybe have relaxed a bit and we need to like listen to our kids more. 
And so yeah. I, I'm, it, it was very important to me that those elements r- really ring strong in the movie. I mean, sometimes even there's moments in the movie, there's an argument between Akeem and, and Lisa that I remember people being kind of a little bit worried about. They're like, man, you know, Akeem kind of yells at Lisa here. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and be careful. You know, you want to keep him likable. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, this is a scene where the wife needs to tell the husband that he's, he's lost his way. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, th- those moments of dramatic weight, I think, are just as important in a, in a comedy as they, w- they would be in a drama. Agreed. Uh, just to jump back to the original, we do have to all agree uh, that Sam Jackson has one of the greatest f bombs of all time. <laughs> well, it can't be. That it is... can't be equaled. I, I think that's why we couldn't have him. <laughs> that, that, is a, that is a hall of fame line delivery. Oh. Like, over, over the years, you know, it's like Sam. You know, you've kind of blunted your 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 mf. You know, uh, in eighty in eighty nine, it was really cutting. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, we had Tim Story, the director, on the oh, show wow. yesterday, and he said something that really stuck with me, and I had to bring it up here to you. Uh, he was talking about his work uh, on Shaft with Sam, actually, yeah. and he said, uh, "Guys, look, I didn't direct Sam Jackson. Like, I directed everything around him, essentially. Yeah. You know, and uh, to have my contributions. You worked with Eddie twice. Do you feel that way? Are you? Do you actually direct?" Eddie Murphy, like, especially in a coming to America movie where he has such ownership over it. Like, what is your level of direction with him? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up in relation to Sam, because I know what Tim is saying. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure Tim directed Sam. Uh, What it is, is though, is that you're, you're, when you, when you, when you get Sam Jackson to be in your movie, you know, you're, you're, you want that Sam Jackson feel. And so Sam will give you like two takes and damn it, it better be in focus because he's, he's going to give you really brilliant takes yeah, but I do have to say that I I, I direct Eddie. Um, I you know Eddie and I we we meet in his trailer. We talk about the day. We we talk about elements in the scene that we want to do or maybe maybe change and and then we go there onto the set and I and I give him my thoughts and and I stay. I remember the 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 time that it was tested in Dolomite is my name. There was this moment that he uh, his character uh, Rudy Ray Moore and everybody they go to see this movie. That's like uh, uh, that, that they just didn't like. It was just very boring. And they come out and it's and they're, they're out underneath the, the glowing marquee. And I told Eddie, I said, why don't you say this line and you come towards me. And then I want you to refer to this movie post over there. I want you to walk over there. And then I want you to walk back and say this final line. And, and, and usually directors get this a lot from actors like, well, why am I walking over there? And why am I coming back? I don't understand what the and and and. And it was like it was like the first time that I really had directed Eddie walking in a scene. Everything else, he was kind of standing there. And this was like that moment, that crucial moment, like, okay, new director with like an actor. And I was like, Eddie, I promise I will let you do whatever you want, but you've got to give me one take and let me show it to you. Mm-hmm. And so when he walked over there and he walked back, I slowly started dipping the camera down. So when he came up into the into the frame, all the marquee lights now were behind him and him saying, I could be everywhere. I could be everywhere all at once. And I remember him coming over and watching it and, and he was just looking at the screen and then he just went. And then he, and then he walked away and, and we, we went on with the scene and there was never any question wow. after, after that, which That's was amazing. nice. It was like, we got each other's trust. Craig, I'll end on this because this is actually, uh, I was lucky enough to do the press junket for this film and talk to Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy. And it was kind of an honor just to have both of those guys on screen together talking to them. And something I brought up to Eddie Murphy that I've always wanted to talk about is why 
comedy is never taken as seriously when it comes to the Oscars. Um, oh, and it really, really pisses me off because I think that he should have won for Coming to America. He should have won for Naughty Professor. He definitely should have won for Dolomite. And I think Dolomite was another performance where, again, grounded emotional character that, that is made funnier because we care about his art. And that theater scene you're talking about in Dolomite, when they're, when they're watching the film and they're looking around like, I don't see myself represented on screen. It was, it, it, there was so much to be said in Dolomite. Um, and I, I just find it interesting because I genuinely think what Eddie Murphy does in Nutty Professor or this movie or Dolomite is harder than a lot of what we see from dramatic performances. And I wanted to ask your opinion as somebody who's worked in this business, I've loved your work, Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan. You've made some phenomenal films. Why do you think it's so hard for Oscar voters to go, that's good acting? Well, it's funny because I used to be an actor when I was in like junior high and high school. And then, and then when I had graduated and the easiest thing for a young actor to do is get mad. It's almost like that's why you went into drama in the first place. You wanted to have a scene where you could yell on the stage. It's so easy. And I would even say, uh, tears and and sorrow is a close second right and and the problem is is that it's so large that people think wow i'm i'm experiencing this fury or i'm experiencing these tears and and therefore it's evoking this feeling in me therefore that involved the most craft Mm. and that is just not true you take every like dramatic actor or actress and they will all say the same thing comedy is so much harder there's no one in the room laughing everyone's got to be very quiet you're dealing with timing with an audience who is not there Hmm. you know and then you also have to get into like what eddie is constantly in which is like okay i'm going to be crazy (laughs) funny but i also have to be relatable and I have to be someone that you kind of like believe that I'm, I'm I actually live in this world, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm of its rhythm. And it, it's just such a I, I remember being a kid and watching Kevin Klein win Best Supporting Actor for A Fish Called Wanda. And, and it was a, a year where I saw all the movies and it was kind of a shock that he won yeah. it. Yeah. But that's kind of where I feel like the Academy members like place comedic uh, performances it's for supporting characters, mm. you know, it's not for lead characters, which I think is just, it, it's, it's really unfortunate because I think that it involves so much more uh, awareness and so much more craft at times, uh, depending on the, the material, than sometimes some of these, these roles where people are kind of just screaming and yelling and, and doing things that, 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 that feel right on a human level that are kind of easier to do. Yeah, if the Academy actually saw the production of what went down on Nutty Professor table scene and don't doesn't think that was like some of the most brilliant acting they've ever seen in their life. I mean, that that it just blows my mind. Yeah, um, but, it, it yeah. really bothers me, especially. And I and I and I feel that it's even more stilted toward, against Eddie because the, the problem that I think people have with Eddie is that they think that it's easy for him. I'm sure there are many things in Eddie's life that feels easy, but what people don't know is what I see, which is he's sitting in his chair, in makeup, he's putting on music, he's getting into a place, he's rehearsing these lines. You see him, he doesn't fool around on set. When you're in between takes, he goes to his chair and you see him get into this trance where he is working and working and working. There's craft there. And I worry that people think that like, oh, well, Eddie's just showing up and being funny like he's always done. And that's just not true. Yes, he's he's showing up and being hilarious, but it's not like he's just flipping a switch and like, okay, well, here's what I'm doing today. 
Yeah. It's brilliant. Craig, it's an honor having you on the show, man. And we could talk to you forever, but uh, we really appreciate your time and continued success with the movie. Uh, thanks so much. Good to yeah. talk thanks, to you. Thanks for nerding right. out. Hustle and Flow is a masterpiece. It really is. Oh, nice. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> We want to thank Craig Brewer so much for joining the show and sharing all that insight into the making of Coming to America. Thank you to Amazon, too, for giving us time with him. Uh, it was great to have him on Real Blend. Make sure you guys check out Coming to America on Amazon Studios. It's available for streaming right now. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Uh, let's get to the talking points for this week, uh, Critic Choice Awards. So the three of us are members of the Critics Choice, uh, used to be the Broadcast Film Critics Association. This was another one of the virtual ceremonies that were held. Um, I am not, with all due respect to everybody at Critics' Choice, I think they worked really hard to put on an engaging show. I, I can't get into this award season. I'm having a really hard time just figuring but, out like what's going on with this award season. How much of it is because all of the actors aren't in the same room together versus, because I think the Emmys did it really well, or maybe it was just the novelty of it. But with the Emmys, and no other show has seemed to do this, but like the whole Emmy bit of like every nominee had someone waiting outside their door with a trophy. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was great. I don't know why no one else is doing that other than the fact that maybe they don't want to make trophies for everybody. Um, but how much of it is the Zoom aspect of this award season versus the fact that none of us just really like the movies? For me, it's both. For me, it's a little bit of there's a detached version of like... I think that well beyond the joy of us being able to go to Critics Choice, which is sure. something that I I severely miss, and looking at the pictures of us at last year's oh. Critics Choice was heartbreaking because I really enjoy it. But I do think that some of the fun of it is um, how people play off uh, speeches, you know, in, in the moment when they're in a room with their peers, uh, people who are surprised to legitimately get up that way. Um, the energy of the room and you can't replicate the energy of the room it's just been really hard at the globes in particular and now seeing critics choice play out that way but yeah uh it you know it goes without saying that it's weird that i don't love you know most of the nominees i don't have a dog in the fight necessarily i can't get super excited about a particular category and um that sort of came home to although i was thrilled that maria bakalova got the, some... i'm now like super into best supporting actress like now i'm like all about wanting her to win yeah. Uh, Kev, we gave our awards to Minari and uh, Chloe. Does it seem like they are the front runners Nomadland. now? Nomadland. Oh, not Minari. Nomadland. Sorry. Nomadland. Oh, yeah. I think Nomadland is, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things at this point. It's just like Nomadland's best director. Chloe's going to be best director. I'm sorry. Best director for, yeah, best director and best picture are going yeah. to go that route, I think. And then, and then <sighs> they'll split the difference with actress. That's going to go to Carrie Mulligan and or, I don't know. 
Do you think Francis, or is she sort of playing herself out? I think Fran- I don't. I haven't seen Francis McDormand winning anything yet. I mean, actually, right. I think the the big the big tell is going to be the SAG Awards, right? Mm-hmm. But but, but Carrie I, didn't uh, get nominated for the SAG. Oh, she did. Really? Didn't. Mm-mm. That what? might that might. Well, then, yeah. Then wow. I have no idea. This award season doesn't make any sense then because and didn't Emerald Fennell not get a uh, not get a director nomination at the mm-hmm. DGA? She didn't get DGA. Um, I, I think her best shot is screenplay. I, I I think that's where she needs to be. And also, but also keep in mind, keep in mind, Nomadland, which granted, a majority of the movie is just Francis, but Nomadland isn't one of the top SAG nominees. So like that could end up going to Trial of Chicago Seven. Do you think because they're not screen actors? I think so. I really, I really do think. I mean, because when you think the whole point of the of SAG is like more of like an ensemble piece, right? Um, and and maybe just because they don't really think of uh the actors who were the real life nomads outside of uh, francis and david as maybe they literally weren't sag members um, they, have emerald, they have to be sag em- members emerald Fennell did get dga did she she did yeah oh i thought jacob Chloe- said she didn't chloe Zhao, emerald Fennell. i'm looking at it right now hold on where the heck did it go it's fincher um sorkin what did she miss out on she missed out on something big and lee isaac Chung. no she made- got it oh then we're good you might still be in it. I don't know. It's just, it's an unusual ceremony. It's an unusual ceremony to try to pull off. I thought we, I thought as a group, we ran into a problem um, with the NBA All-Star Game was on that night. And then the Oprah interview with um, Megan and Harry, which just dominated ratings. Yeah. You know, like that was, that was the huge topic of conversation. So how do you break through with an award show? Uh, yeah, but even the Globes only did that? 6 million. So it's it's not like you know, we missed a giant opportunity to be a giant show. Like a lot, all the shows are down right now. Yeah. Uh, what was it like doing the interviews uh, backstage? Uh, I'd never done that before. I don't know if you guys have, I've, I've never done the winner's press room. So basically it's just a giant zoom, like what you're in right now. Um, and everyone's square is silent and they kind of announce, I kind of had my TV on across the room to see who the winners were and they would announce, uh, okay, uh, you know, uh, uh, Maria Bakalova just won Best Supporting Actress. She's joining us now, and her video would pop up. And there's a little at this. I don't have it here, but in my Zoom box there, I would have a little raise hand button. It would let them know, hey, I have a question. And you would just sit there and hope that you would get called on. And if you got called on, they would unmute you. And then all of a sudden, she would see you in that moment, and you would get a question. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, some people would pop up and I would go, ah, oh, I wouldn't really air this person. So I didn't raise my hand. And then uh, there, I got, I got, there are a lot of people who say, uh, you know, I raised my hand for, um, it didn't get, but I got very lucky in a night where I, I told my bosses, I don't know if I'm going to get anybody going into this virtual winner's press room. Um, and said, look, look, let's not promote that I'm doing this because it could, it could be a bust. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is going to be, this is a weird sentence. As I'm putting on makeup on Sunday afternoon, I thought like, God, this is going to be such a waste. Like if I <laughs> if I am getting camera ready on a Sunday afternoon for nothing, like I'm going to be annoyed by the end of the night. And by the end of the night, I ended up getting Maria Bakalova and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Leslie Odom Jr. So I was, by the end of the night, I was like, hey, and, and honestly, and I all all award season, I've been trying to get Sasha Baron Cohen. So I was happy to have gotten a question. You only get one question. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing, too, is you don't know who's going to win. And then, like with Maria, I was the third of three people. To, and the, the two questions I had written down for her that I scribbled down real quick once she won got asked by the first two people. So then they call my name, and you just have to come up with a question in that moment. Otherwise, you waste your moment. So it was, it was kind of exciting. It was fun. That is a little nerve-wracking. It's a yeah. little red carpety for it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. 
One of the uh, responsibilities I have for Critics' Choice is helping out on the social media team that mm -hmm. evening. And so they put me in a pen in the back and I get to be... Uh, it's really, honestly, one of the best places to be. Oh, you got some great <laughs> pictures. But you miss the show. You don't see the, the show at all. They don't have it on television backstage at all. Um, and you just hear it happening on the stage. But every time somebody wins... They come off the stage and down a set of stairs and they have an area where they first get their picture taken holding their Critics' Choice Awards. And it has a backdrop with the logo and sort of this fake artificial um, uh, uh, shrubbery type thing. And then there's a moment where they just are kind of like, OK, what do I do now? And, you know, a lot of times they have handlers, but other people are talking to them and taking pictures and you're able to just sort of sneak around and and talk to some people. And last year, that's where I got uh, Quentin, right after he had won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we gave a icon, an icon um, award to Eddie Murphy. And after he got his picture taken, he was also just kind of standing around. I walked up, I was like, hey, Eddie, congratulations. And so it's a, it's a really and, cool and that place was huge. to be. Because he didn't, you know, because sometimes a lot of the winners are like mingling with us while they're waiting to find out if they win. Eddie kind of just showed up, was backstage, came out, accepted his award, and then went back backstage. Like he was, he wasn't mingling around with us. So you right. had, you had access that nobody had. Like that picture that you had right. with him that night. Literally, I would say no one else that night got that picture. That's awesome. That makes me really happy because I know how much that means to both of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. All right, let's get to our WandaVision wrap up. Um, Jake and I have sort of vented about it on thing, but Kev, I never got you finishing it. Oh, Did yeah. you finish it? Yeah. Where yeah, are you at with it. the... Oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. What game? Oh, I was just going to let our audience be warned that we are going to we're going to discuss WandaVision in full. That sounds great. So if you want to uh, stay unspoiled, skip to the next section. Kev! Where are you at with WandaVision? I, I the show just didn't do much for me. I, after episode three, I thought the whole show went downhill. Personally, okay. um, it just didn't. Uh, there was something special about the first three episodes. Uh, I've said this before in the text chain: entirely too much exposition and re-explaining of the entire MCU and having characters dumb down storylines that we already had learned about in the past twenty-three films. Um, uh, Performance-wise, everyone's fast, fantastic. I mean, obviously, Bettany's amazing. Olsen's amazing. Um, there, it's one of those things where I was watching it and I, I finished the show, and I'm just like, "Cool, that was interesting." I mean, it didn't like it, it's not Mandalorian level. Mandalorian is just worlds beyond Wandavision. No, no pun intended on that. It just genuinely is brilliant. Um, just from a storytelling standpoint, the cliffhangers are incredible. The payoffs are amazing. And at the same time, like WandaVision is an interesting concept, right? Like, you know, the idea of uh, a, a superhero. I mean, that's kind of what makes superhero movies so interesting. And uh, is that is when you humanize them to a level where they can deal with an emotion that common people deal with grief elements like that it, it humanizes people and humanizes characters and to spend was it nine episodes how many episodes mm -hmm. was it yeah nine. nine episodes on essentially the grief of wandavision and 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 i guess the scarlet witch transition specifically um i don't know I, I, at the end of the day i don't know what it accomplished other than she's sad about the passing of vision and now she's moved into this headspace and now we're going to see her jump into this part of the MCU film wise. So 
it was a lot of time spent on also one of the things that really upset me about the show and I don't I don't, I don't know if this is just um <laughs> this is such a trivial thing to bring up but the show would end every week and there was still 10 minutes left in the in the timeline and then the, there was like 10 minutes of credits and, I, and it has nothing to do with the product or the quality of the show overall but like I felt like those those run times were deceiving every single week. It was like, oh, your show is thirty seven minutes. Actually, it's actually twenty six or whatever it was, and and then it would run. And again, that's just a trivial thing. But mentally speaking, you would prepare for a thirty seven minute show, and it would just end at like twenty six or whatever. And I don't think that really means anything about like the quality of the programming. It just was a little deceiving, I thought. But how could you guys say that about WandaVision? Because I know Jake agrees with you, and for people who weren't watching the YouTube channel, he was thumbs upping and pumping his fist when the mandalorian is simply he picks up baby yoda and he's got to deliver him to a jedi and at the end of it he does no see it's so much more complicated than that the entire the entire this this also the mandalorian also doesn't spend in half of its episodes of re-explaining star wars you know what i mean it, it doesn't re-explain the uh, i, I whatever, will say wherever. while it doesn't re-explain star wars it's 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 sort of monster a week story structure kind of makes each episode that doesn't tackle the larger story pretty meaningless not meaningless characters build but like that was i think all of us had that critique with the mandalorian though was that the storytelling was that monster a week all too often versus There's getting us back to the really exciting main sure. storyline mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the 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 recurring element of like him having to do a task yes. to move forward in the mission he was um, doing side quests in a video game the the, the tv series yeah, I think at the end of the day, WandaVision to me was more interesting in the bubble. Out of mm-hmm. the bubble, I did not find interesting. And I think the problem at the end of the day is, is that the writing on the outside was, sorry, was just so bad um, that it, 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 to me, it deflated how much I loved the inside of the, uh, of what Wanda, you know, Agatha, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um the scale of action was insane, though. Like, the actual, like, the, the, Catherine Hahn, that's, to me, when I walk away from that show, like, that's the performance that I'm like, damn. Like, I was like, oh my God. Like, she really kind of dug into that character. Um, I loved how evil she was. That switch between her, like, in that zombie mode versus the, you know, her regular, you know, it was, it was pretty, it, that was pretty well done. Um, I'm not saying I hated the series. It just, I just feel so lukewarm about it. Mm. Jakey I take issue with for people who did love it saying that the only reason that people didn't like it is because their their theories and expectations didn't come true right which um, because yeah. I I honestly like would it have been cool if like Doctor Strange had showed up like sure yeah that would have been fine but what I wanted and, and how I was kept my own friends and family watching the show when they were trying to bail was this is a study of loss, loss and grief in the within the MCU, um, and and I just didn't feel feel like it fulfilled that. That being said, I do think it's unfair to throw that criticism out about people like people being disappointed about fan theories not working out when your own actors are out mm. there in the press basically trolling fans by kind of hinting that things are going to happen. And then when they don't happen, saying like, hey, why are you disappointed? We never promised you that. Like, that's a but little unfair. That's not the fault of the show. No, Jake that's is the, saying it's that's what he's saying. Is the, that, it's the, the fault, fault of the, of the actors. Yeah, it, it is the fault of the actors. But you should, can't blame it, but it's not the that? fans fault. They shouldn't have said that. Like, should they have not have said that? I totally agree. Like, OK, but Paul you Benny, can't. But, but the, the idea that it's the fans fault that they were disappointed because their own theories didn't come true. 
Well, you're, it's your actors who are out there fanning the flames of these theories. Well, Remember, Henry Cavill also stared me in the face and told me there was no Snyder Cut and he had no uh, idea but what the Snyder a Cut difference was. Between, there's a difference between <laughs> that mean... and, oh, a cameo's coming that's bigger than Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, or like, oh, I get to work with an actor I've always wanted to work with, but it turns yeah. out to be me talking about myself. Kind of I, see, I don't think funny. that's... Well, one, that's really that slides funny. into my issue that with Paul Bettany. pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> Paul Bettany... See, knowing Paul Bettany, not that I know him personally, but knowing how dry he is... Um, yeah. Just from a comedy perspective, that's pretty damn funny. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I, I thought about this the other day, actually. How many times do you think we've been lied to in interviews? Oh, like, so many. Oh, all the time. And, and it, it's gotten to a point where, like, but, but, like, but the Henry Cavill thing was the one that really, like, put me onto, like, oh, we don't really realize that what people are telling us in these interviews could be complete bullshit like like yeah. it's genuinely like I mean, like henry cavill literally looked me in the face and told me he knew nothing about a snyder cut like yeah. i mean that was un i, I believed yeah. him i posted <laughs> yeah. that interview and like fans got mad at him for not supporting snyder in the, right. in the comments knowing all along that he knew damn well i think i mean I, again i don't know for sure what cavill knew but sean at that point he knew right i would think he'd have to know because he had to have known what he filmed Right, and how it so, was drastically different than what showed up in theatrical. Also, Cavill ended up being the one that helped him announce the announce the release of it. Yes, you know. So at the end, yeah. But anyway, so uh, wait, let me drop I, a little mind blowing thing on you guys. Um, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, who uh, lives out in San Diego, came to the Critics Choice Awards with me one year, several years ago, and he is currently reading my book. And he texted me and he said. Hey, this reminds me of that time that we met Henry Cavill at the Critics' Choice Awards. And it was so long ago. It was right after Man of Steel. So it was like 2013, 2014, probably thing. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. I vaguely remember that. He goes, he was there with his date, um, that Haywire chick. Yes. Gina Carano. Yeah. He was dating Gina Carano. It was her date at the Critics' Choice Awards. I remember that vividly. I also remember... Oh, I have a story about that night that I won't tell here, but but it, it deals with Joss <laughs> Whedon. But I, I, I won't I won't I won't dive into that now. But, I but think I, know yeah, I remember that I night I vividly. I but I just completely blanked on the fact that like Henry Cavill was there with Gina Carano and was so like not the center of attention because she was nominated for like best action you know movie or some such that she was the focus that night and Henry Cavill was just hanging out as her date. I think the date the time he was talking to my friend he was like holding her purse and hanging yeah. off to the side. I was just. About to tell you that, like that, I re specifically remember Henry Cavill being extremely chivalrous that night. Like he yeah. was, like that dude is a gentleman. Like, like I, I remember, I, I specifically remember it. Like I remember, like the, I remember the Gina Carano element. I remember like him, like being, like, like essentially being, like t pulling her chair out for her, like, yeah. like things like that. He is class, classy. Yeah, I, dude. I think I know what Joss Whedon story is because I, I, I was there that the conversation. Year too. Yeah. Like I, 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 what he told me blew my mind so much that I just I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. But I'll tell you guys off air. Please tell us off air. <laughs> I really want to know that it's, one. It's not DCEU related, by the way, for people out there. This was like this is long 2013 yes. or something. Yeah, yeah this yeah. was like right after Cabin the Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods. Like Cabin in the Woods. That's something? why he was there. Him and yes. Drew Goddard yes. were at the show together, and I remember meeting Drew Goddard because I didn't really know who Goddard was at that point. But Lauren was all obsessed with Buffy, so she knew who Whedon was, and you know. Sean, did deal. you did you want to take a moment to defend Wandavision while we're in the spoiler bubble? 
Um, and I, I probably I probably should get away from that, shouldn't I? Uh, it's top five MCU for me. I mean, it's just everything about it Wait. was tremendous. Um, yeah, I loved Back I loved up. everything about it. Back up, Jimmy. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, let me clarify. Like, yeah, WandaVision, it, it, I feel like everything I said sounded relatively negative. I, I, I just, I think at the end of the day, top five MCU, I, I, I gotta, well, I gotta let me explain why. I'll, I'll explain to you. Half MCU. I'll yeah, explain to you it, why. It's like, dude, all right, t- wait, wait, in that well, top five, you're talking like Infinity War, Endgame, I consider Winter those Soldier. two one. Ah, you can't. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. There was How? A, there oh, are, we, not, are we doing an opposite Kill Bill right now? They're one A and one B. No, they're, they're not. Essentially the same story. But they even were... if you even if you're gonna make me take two spots, then fine. They are one and two. Fine. Okay. See, this is the two. difference. This is the difference, and, and I'll keep this very thirty That's seconds. Two the difference movies. between Kill Bill and Avengers is this. Yeah. Avengers stopped filming. We've discussed this. We've discussed no, 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 this on filming. The show. I know. I know. I know. And did it again. Yes, I know. Tarantino shot one movie. Yes, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, just I totally understand that. But but and Sean, I, get to your get to your point about why you why it's top five for you. I am blown away by the amount of stuff that I think that the show tried. Um, it, I'm I'm just talking about in show. I'm not talking about the teases and the fan interaction and all that. I'm talking about in show. They took two characters who most of us consider to be C-level characters and and thoroughly made me care about their journey and their progress together. And by the comics, Wanda and Vision and their romance is a very significant story. And they figured out a way to do it in a long-form series that I thought that they needed all of the beats to do. I loved the sitcom element, but I think the sitcom element lasted just enough time. Like if it kept trying to force the sitcom element, I think it would have grown tired. I think you had to question what, why we were watching this. And then once they started to explain what was going on, then I really, really admired that. I thought uh, because they had the time to develop their characters, because most often the time in these Avengers films, you're rushing through 15 characters at a given point that Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany got a chance to do some of the best character work that I've seen in the MCU by far. I mean, Captain America and Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man probably have the most evolution of their characters because they've had multiple chances to take a swing at them. But where these characters are from where I ever thought that they would be is mind-blowing to me. Um, It introduced S.W.O.R.D., which is a significant uh, contribution. It rearranged Vision and brought him back into the world in ways that are going to be really, really fascinating. It introduced witchcraft uh, and introduced a new villain in uh, in Agatha and hinted at things such as Mephisto and I thought the multiverse, but maybe not. Do I think that they botched the Quicksilver thing? Yeah, probably, you know, <laughs> but... The Quicksilver but kept... thing was bad. It's that bad. Was... I think, not again, bad. I think I said this when that happened... I think that that was, yes, we could read into, uh, is this some establishing that that's coming over? Or is this Kevin Feige planting a foot down and saying, those no longer exist here. This guy is cast in a role as Quicksilver, and it turns out not to be Quicksilver. Don't expect that. Like, to me, that's like, a, okay, well, I don't, I don't expect to see this multiverse thing that we're, that we're talking about necessarily. Maybe. I mean, maybe, but I that's don't know. That's a douchey like, way to say that. It's kind of vague if that's what he's know. trying to get at. I think um, they meant it to I be can... fun. I think they meant it and to I be fun. And I couldn't overlook Kevin's right about the exposition. Like, as much as I wanted yeah. to defend it, like, in the back half of it, all the stuff outside of the hex <laughs> was really bad. But for for them taking their first stab at a long-form television series, I thought that they yeah. swung for a lot of big fences and accomplished a lot. I will gladly rewatch it multiple times. And, okay. Uh, 
I really dug it. I just, I, 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 I can't get over the top five MCU thing. Hold on. So in that list, this is potentially ahead of what? Like Civil War, Winter Soldier kind of thing? Um, like Winter I, I want to know would... your top five MCU. Uh, if you're making those be two, then those are one yes. and two. Okay. Um, Civil War. Uh, Homecoming. Winter Soldier. And then oh. I'd put WandaVision. So not so top five. Not well, top to five. him, it's their one is what he, okay. he said. They were okay. But it's not one. So I know, no, but he five. said top five. Okay, okay. but e- it even one. if it's six, it's still, you're talking 24 movies and it's in, it's in the top half. Dude, of it's, them. it's bottom you, half for me. You think it's better well, than you the first that. Avengers, the movie? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, no. Oh. The first Avengers movie was amazing. Yeah, it this... is. So was WandaVision. Oh, okay. I, all right, all right, all right. What would you rather put on? The first Avengers or WandaVision? Well, I mean, the first Avengers is like, you know, 90 two minutes and a half hours. All right, well, I think WandaVision would have been a better movie than a TV show. I think uh, I, I think you it take wouldn't have nine... had the same. It wouldn't have had the same impact, though. I think it would have. I, I think you sort of set it up as a sitcom and make your audience go like, wait, what the hell? And then 30 minutes into the movie, you kind of start pulling out a little bit. And... But it would I just don't... feel like another Marvel movie. Not that that's a bad thing, but it would just be another it Marvel movie. It ended up and... feeling like just another Marvel show. Also, I Doctor's... loved... I really enjoyed the week to week conversations yeah. that this triggered. I think that was Nothing a lot of sure. for the yeah, community. Yeah, that I love too. I just think yeah. the story I don't I just don't think that's a story that needed to be told over nine weeks. I I, I, agree. Love, I, I would love if shows went back to a week to week. I I, I, lo- I love the water cooler thing because I thought after Game of Thrones the water cooler era yeah. was over. Yeah, um, Mandalorian yeah. brought it yeah. back, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I, uh, to be able to like talk yeah. about the shows in between each week. But yeah. also, uh, I think that WandaVision becomes a very interesting experiment because I think Marvel understands. I think just based on the reaction to the series, because I do, I do, I do think it's 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 a little bit more divided than we think. I, I think there were people on both sides of the of the fence on on the show, but at the same time. There's no way that Kevin Feige isn't looking at the at the discourse mm-hmm. and say, okay, all right, maybe did the week to week affect expectations because fans are looking. I saw a great um, tweet today that I thought was explained the entire fandom, and it was it was it was a it was a, um, it was a fo- on the top. It was Anthony Mackie, and no. it said, "I know a thing or two. Uh, and below it was Anthony Mackie and the thing from Fantastic Four saying. The thing confirmed for MCU, and it was like it was basically like just because he said a thing or two in yeah, was yeah. that Endgame? I think it was. End, I, know, I think, it was I, think the, I think he says it, it in one of the uh, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Okay, he says I think because I know a thing or two, and they they yeah. took they took the word thing and made it seem like he was confirming that the thing was going to be in Falcon and the Winter well, Soldier. It's sad because there are some movie sites that would run with that. <laughs> they would oh, take that and but, run. But I and think, we know who and, they are. <laughs> well, funny enough, the, I saw the tweet because somebody retweeted it, and like they even like it was like self-deprecatingly joked around that like this is kind of like the discourse of of how we are now. But oh but, there, but there's an element with the problem with Marvel is it's so it's so secretive and mm. so Easter eggy that makes sense is that that we're like almost I actually think it's detrimental now to the storytelling so much so that we can't even watch stuff without mm. thinking about what it means outside of the film. And I think we've gotten to a point that, and that's kind of like the hard thing about where we are as a culture right now is that like, we're almost not really even enjoying what we're watching because we're all, we're always thinking about 
What does this mean again? And like, I'll never like with Infinity War, and I go back to this example all the time. Like when when the Infinity War ending happened, a lot of people said, "Oh, well, I know that Marvel has a deal coming up with this, and this person's going to be alive because they have a sequel coming out." Like the fact that we know that in our minds mm. is just insane. Like it, 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 and I, and I get that's where we are as a society, but it does really kind of hurt the actual viewing experience sometimes. But is that is that where we are as a society or is that just where the four of us are by well, knowing this? Like, like I, well, I would argue film like, society. It, it, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I mean, I mean the film community. I think a lot of film fans know way more than film fans ever knew. It, right. Not just, not just because you guys read and, and cover it yeah. every day. I think a lot of people, especially Marvel fans know all that stuff. We were and when watching you go week the to week Snyder on, cut. On, we were watching the Snyder cut and Michelle said to me about an hour into it. Can goes, we say that? Uh, yeah, I, I think, think we can. can. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. We've watched it. Um, well, some people, some people did it. when they thought they were watching Tom and Jerry. So you know, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, and we were an hour into it, and Michelle uh, said to me, "Is Spider Man in this one?" <laughs> with all, with all honesty. So. Do you, do, do you think Feige is looking at the discourse? Because I, I, I think it's fascinating. Because when you do a week to week for a show like Wandavision, you. You are risking, and it did happen to a lot of people, disappointment from fans yeah. because of the buildup of what we think is coming based on an Easter egg or, you know, she put the Pop-Tart in the toaster the wrong way. So that means Pop-Tart Man's coming in the next episode. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> just like, you know, just like little like stupid things. But like, it, it's that's how, where we are, though. And I wonder if is, is that can hurting? that be this week's real blend out of context tweet? <laughs> Pop Tart Man, man. is coming. Pop Tart Man week. is coming. So to answer your question, Kevin, because I think it's a good question, I think I think that we have to think of this TV show as Phase One Marvel TV in a big way of yeah. they're going to figure out how they want to tell stories this way, how the audience wants them to tell stories this way, but also we as the audience are going to figure out what these stories are. I think a lot of people come into this first Marvel thing that's happened in a year and we're expecting a Marvel movie event and perhaps moving forward, the way I described WandaVision was it just felt like connective tissue, connective tissue that I really liked exposition, exposition aside. But if all of these TV shows are just going to feel like connective tissue, then I think our expectations will shift and we'll go, okay, I'm going right. to hang out with these characters, but I, mm. I don't need to expect black Panther, you know, see, is the MCU going to drop a big bomb in the show? They're not because I, not. you know what I mean? Like the, like the, like to Gabe's point, like you're not going to drop a bomb, like MCU bomb in the middle of a TV series. Maybe, what, what, maybe what, not. It's only the first show is my point. True. But what I also find fascinating is this, and this is something I'm very interested in knowing when we jump to the next, what's the next MCU film to be released? Black Widow. Well, uh, Black Sha- Widow. A Black Widow, yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess and then I don't know Shang-Chi. if We ain't getting nothing in that. Shang-Chi I don't know if it applies. Is after that. Oh, okay. Well, Black Widow's a prequel. So uh, yeah. what, what's mm-hmm. the next forward motion story? Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi okay. and Before July. Eternals? Yes. Eternals okay. is November. So my question is this. Will the viewer have to have seen WandaVision to continue with the MCU storyline that they're watching in the movies and, and and i guess my so there's a twofold a- answer to that question because one if they don't that goes to gabe's point it was just connective tissue if they do do the shows like falcon and the winter soldier and wandavision become 
essential storytelling yeah. tools to move the films forward. So like if I watch if I go to see Infinity War and it ends, I need to go see Endgame to find out how it how it continues, right? Yeah. But if 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 a show comes out in the middle of that uh, and then and then the end games after that, do I need to have seen this show in the middle to connect to the story or will I be able or is Feige going to leave the movies kind of streamlined? I, I think Doctor Strange is going to be the tell as to like how much we really yeah. need to watch. In fact, and I'm going to shamelessly plug my interview that I did. Uh, we interviewed Benedict Cumberbatch yesterday and I asked him if he was aware that uh, people thought he was going to be in it. And he kind of paused and he goes, oh, yeah, it would have been in it. And then he kind of pauses and he goes, well, especially like considering what happens with me and Lizzie and Doctor Strange 2, it would have been cool to be in WandaVision. Mm-hmm. So I think like I, Eternals, probably not, uh, you know, uh, Black Widow, I would say definitely not. But I think the big tale of like how important WandaVision is will be Doctor Strange 2. But what did WandaVision do emotionally? Keep in other- mind, WandaVision wasn't even supposed to be the first one to come out, right? Wasn't the original schedule... Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be first? Yes, and WandaVision was supposed to come out much closer to Doctor Strange 2 right. coming out. They should not yeah. be separated by this much. I guess I just wonder, like, okay, so we know that Vision dies in Infinity Have War. You, we know she's upset. You, sorry, are you asking about the emotional impact of WandaVision? That's what you were I'm getting I'm trying at? to understand, like, what... Have you what rewatched... Wanda- have you sorry, rewatched uh, Ultron or Civil War since yeah. since you've watched it? Not since the final episode, but I've watched them recently. Recently, yeah. but since you started watching WandaVision, mm-hmm. have you watched? Yeah, we watched okay, Ultron a couple for, of weeks for ago. For me, I already felt a difference in their scenes in those older movies, having sat with the characters more. The, the scenes oh, meant more to me yeah. than they ever have. Yeah, I yeah. think her being the Scarlet Witch is a significant difference. Massive. Like, yeah. she's yeah, theoretically more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. now according is that, to what is that the biggest in. thing that came out of the show? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, even, they even nailed, if it's just nailed that look, nailed the costume, even oh, if it's it just was, the origin perfect. story for a character like the Scarlet Witch. And if the Scarlet Witch is going to become significant to the creation of mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I think she is going to be. Yeah. Then you're going to need an origin story yeah. that warranted where this came from. And if it stems from the grief of her loss of vision. Yeah. Great. I'm glad they took I, the time to explain that. I feel like Marvel and Star Wars are now. They're in the business of moving forward, but they're also in the business of realizing things we didn't like in the past and creating new content that gives us no choice but to like it. <laughs> and, you know, in the world of Star Wars, I think back to the the plot hole that people pointed out in A New Hope for years, which is why would the, why would the Death Star have a hole that you could shoot in and blow it up? Like, that makes no sense. And they literally created an entire movie that explains... Great movie. A great movie, great movie. that explains... Uh, why there is a hole in the Death Star. And, and you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of, of Age of Ultron, but now after WandaVision, you look back at Age of Ultron and go like, well, like, it's quintessential Marvel now. Like, it, it has to, it, 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 you can't skip it when watching the Marvel films. Jake, is Rogue One a top five Star Wars movie? The la- It's so tough because the last hour of Rogue One, I think, is some of the best Star Wars ever. Yeah. The first half of, of Rogue One is good. It's good, sure. but it's nowhere near. So I don't know. It's it's tough because it's you know they have a bad I, they have a bad track record in general. Star Wars Rogue One has the best Vader scene of all time. Yeah, can you imagine if at the end of Empire Strikes Back though, like he revealed that, and you were like, 
Yeah, but it's not a big deal though because I know that in the next movie they're going to talk about the fact that like, he's, not really, he's not really his father. It's not. It's I'm not. so fascinated just being, because you know because because Kevin and I and Gabe and I we're all, we're all of the age where like we grew up and it was just a known fact. I'm yeah. so fascinated about that that three year gap between Empire and Jedi where people didn't know if he was telling the truth. I think that oh, no. is fascinating. Never that never crossed anyone's mind. Right. See, I, I don't, I disagree because there's literally an episode of Big Bang Theory where Sheldon runs into James Earl Jones and says like, you know, I thought Darth Vader was lying. And James Earl Jones goes, so did I. Like, like that's like, I, I, I everyone, I've not everyone, but a lot of people tell me that that was the debate. Uh, that was the fan debate over those years in between was, was he telling the truth? Not in my circles. The fan my debates back just, then, you know, it was carrier yeah. pigeons. It was <laughs> <laughs> rocks yeah. chiseling on, on caves, That's cave walls. Was. Yeah, he, they were like, "Oh my god, really? It's his father?" Okay, cool. We moved on to something cool. else. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I'll see you in three years when the next thing. How comes about around. that Superman score, though? Uh, all right, fine. Let's get to this weekend movies. Uh, did either of you guys see Long Weekend? I caught up with Long Weekend. Did you guys see it? No, no. It's a Sony film. Um, it is a very small indie. Uh, it is. I looked up the name of the of the girl, Zoe Chow, who's been in a couple of. Uh, she was supporting character in a couple of films. Damon Wayans Jr., uh, Casey Wilson, and the main guy is Finn Whitrock. It is a hard film to talk about because there's a hook, there's a twist in the middle of it, and if you don't talk about the twist, um, it you know you, it's hard to talk about the film. But it's kind of like a indie uh, rom com. Guy meets a girl after a bad breakup. She is, and they make a joke about this. Like she's the, uh, what is that? That manic pixie dream girl type thing. Like everything about her is cool and he can't understand where she came from kind of thing. And they get to the explanation of where she came from. And it has a, I don't even want to say that, I guess. Uh, there's an element to the story that once it's revealed, I wish they explored. And instead of exploring it, they just kept it being an indie romance. And I was like, oh, but you just dropped this cool bomb. <laughs> like, why don't you explore is that it a, cool bomb? Is it a bomb kind of like Palm Springs bomb? Like that level, like where they. Yeah. Oh, yeah. one of those kind of. Are we just going to get on, a whole subgenre of rom coms that are like, but also. Yes. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. Um, though this one's not comedy at all. Um, oh. It's definitely more heartfelt uh indie you know okay your feelings on your sleeve kind of thing okay. uh the two of them are adorable in it they're a really great couple um i just wish it explored the the more rem it'd be like if palm springs revealed that bomb and then like ignored it for the rest of the movie <laughs> and you'd be like really that's you're just not gonna go with it that's a choice there's an arrow in your back <laughs> yeah, right, exactly uh so it's sweet but it's hard to recommend so, um, anyone see Yesterday, Jennifer Garner's movie, Yesterday, on Netflix? She's sweet. I like her. I haven't seen it. I might throw that on. Um, she's going in the, down the family route, you know, making all these lighthearted family films. And then Cherry. So, Cherry, we talked about on an earlier episode. We said we were going to save it till this time. Um, it is coming to Apple TV after being in theaters for a limited run. I thoroughly uh, enjoyed Cherry. And I watched it a second time, too, to even prepare for the junket. And... You know, we make jokes about Tenant and how Tenant has a bad rap. Cherry was getting destroyed by critics. Did it ever come back around? I, it was in the no, 30s, I thought, on yeah, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, which not that that is the end-all, be-all when we've talked no. extensively about Rotten Tomatoes, but I was a little surprised whenever uh, those initial reviews dropped it, how 
ravaged both the film and Tom Holland's performance. Uh, both of which I thought were, I'm with you. I, I, I feel like Cherry, my only knock on Cherry, and it's not even really a knock, it's just that it is so much. Yeah. A, a lot happens. Uh, that There's a part of me that wishes it was like a miniseries, like an HBO miniseries. Well, the structure of Cherry is unusual because it's broken up into chapters, mm-hmm. um, not unlike the Snyder Cut. And each one, which is, we may each or may one not to have me, seen. is a very distinct genre. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... First, it's a, a couple meets at college, essentially, and they're sort of young love. Um, then is the boot camp military, you know, movie. Yeah. And then it's the drug addiction heroine movie. <laughs> and then it's the bank robber heist movie. And in each path along this journey, the Russos, to me, treat each one like a short film. You know, like, let's explore the trappings of each of these genres and do them to the way that we would want to do them. But I honestly think that it's it's Tom Holland and... Uh, Kiara, Kiara Bravo, Kiara, Sierra Bravo, Sierra. Sierra Bravo. I think their two performances hold it together. Like I was so invested in the two of them and their journey and their relationship holding it together that I didn't mind going through each of the different chapters with them. So I don't understand any kind of knock on it. I thought it was fantastic and absolutely think it's worth watching. Agree, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I loved it too. I I I, I thought it was incredible. Um, cinematography, score performance uh they even pull off a children of men wonder which was really impressive uh which i was really excited about um wait when what's the scene keep an eye out for it so basically yeah well the the so in in children of men uh for people who haven't seen it there's like this incredible wonder uh where they're in the car with juliet uh julianne moore and chuatel chio four and clavo and they're doing the ping pong ball back and forth and there's like it's just the wonder as the it's like spinning around the car. The actors were having to duck as the camera went around, basically. Amazing. So if you watch Cherry, uh, there's a they do the similar one. Um, there's a scene where they're on the way to the bank, um, and they pick up two of their friends, and Tom Holland's in the passenger seat, and the driver, and it's it's it starts out and goes in, and then it spins around as they drive. It's pretty wild. So also, um, but that's Newton out. Thomas Siegel who shot Usual Suspects, and or no, yeah, wait, right, Usual Suspects. Um, he also shot uh, Defy Bloods as well. Wow. Uh, phenomenal DP. Uh, I think he shot Usual Suspects. Hopefully I'm right about that. Newton Thomas Siegel. Um, <laughs> Let's but yeah, not he's, overlook a uh, friend of the show. Friend of the friend of Real Blend. Chris Van Vliet has a, has a part. Yes, he does. In, in yes, he, and at, like, at, like, he's right behind Tom Holland yes, in, he is. in the scene. During a moment where uh, Tom Holland is working in a restaurant and his ex is now with somebody else and they're trying to get a table at the restaurant. And it, I could not stop staring at Chris Van Vliet, who uh, is a... Uh, I don't know how he ended up on that. I, I know that it's in Cleveland and he's from Cleveland and I, maybe the Russos know him that way, but it's fun that he got on there. So yeah. I want to spin off about his character. I want to know, <laughs> know who that guy is. But just uh, shout out to the Russos... No, yeah. I just want to shout out to the Russos because like it's it's um it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, really cool technical filmmaking achievements that I do think are very important to the story and the storytelling and they service the story not just done for cool shots like I feel like Snyder falls into that same boat where he's very technically stylized but everything about the technical stylization is important to the storytelling so mm-hmm. for me like Cherry was just an, uh, an incredible um, look at. PTSD, mental health, drug addiction. Um, it really kind of like, it, I thought uh, Holland was incredible. So I loved it. I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's in theaters now and, and then it comes out on Apple TV plus uh, this uh, 
Friday the 12th. Yeah. Reminds me what a tremendous actor Tom Holland is. Um, I That kid's been on my radar. Forget about my obsession with Spider-Man. It's like, the impossible. The impossible. His performance in The Impossible is unbelievable. Which if you've never great. seen, is on Netflix, and it's an incredible, 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 incredible film. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's get to this week's blend game. We are playing, okay, so this one is uh, kind of open-ended and is open to interpretation. And we are playing hashtag fantasy movie blend um so i'm gonna go first and talk about the fact that i hate this genre <laughs> i don't i'm not a fan of the fantasy genre i get ripped on this show a lot for not liking lord of the rings um, i'm just not a big fan of um wizards and orcs and creatures like that it just doesn't hold my interest um so i went through all of those and didn't pick any of them um but i think that i can get away with choosing uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Fantasy? Fantasy? I mean, feels like it's a fantastical world. Yeah. Sure. Yeah? I'm gonna... Yeah. Alright. I love like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's like five people in one bed? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, what kind of fantasy is that? Is that a fantasy least, for you, Nick? <laughs> um, the, the, this is a defining film from my childhood. Like, it's one of those movies that I watched a gazillion times growing up and didn't realize how great Gene Wilder was uh, until, you know, I got older and sort of processed his performance. Did you ever um, get to meet him? No, never did. That'd be an amazing, an amazing get. Uh, but, you know, it's it's great how it breaks down the the different characteristics of bratty kids uh, Mike TV and Veruca Salt, obviously, and uh, the girl who chews the bubble gum and blows up like a blueberry. Like, it's a twisted, demented. Like, you can Violet. tell how, yeah, how that movie had such an impact on Tim Burton. Like, there would be no Tim Burton if Willy Wonka didn't exist. And so it's kind of funny that he went around and remade it. I actually don't hate the, the I Johnny really, Depp I also, version. That's so weird. I had this conversation with someone this morning. I also don't hate. I mean, really? granted, I would, I would never. Yeah, because someone, someone quoted this morning. Uh, a director that works on my station, like, like, uh, good morning, sunshine. The world says hello. And I was like, did you just quote the Johnny Depp, Willy Wonka movie to me? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And then I also don't, I grant, I would never put it on over the Gene Wilder version, but I no. also think that people overly hated it because of their affinity for the Gene Wilder version. There's a handful of movies too, that when you actually stop to think about them, you think like, who let you guys make this movie? And the Oompa Loompas are bizarre. <laughs> and the way that they dispose of the children, like Augustus falls into a thing of, of chocolate, a river of chocolate, and they ride that boat through the psychedelic tunnel. Like there's a number of times you point at that movie and be like, this shouldn't have happened. <laughs> and so I'm putting it fantasy for that reason. And, uh, and that's my choice for that's fantasy. A good, that's movie a great blend. choice. That's a really Kev, good where are you at with fantasy movie blend? Uh, yeah, I went with, uh, with Return of the King only okay. because uh, I just never seen anything like that film before. It was one of the first films I ever saw that genuinely made me cry because of the level of action and just scope that Peter Jackson brought to the screen. Um, just those epic sweeping shots of the battles and um, the orcs and just the I had just never seen filmmaking uh, on that scale uh, with that type of effects with that type of emotion after, you know, two films prior and just the whole journey. And uh, I just absolutely love the cinematography in that series. The, the obviously Howard Shore's score. Um, but there was that final battle in return of the King is one of the most incredible. That's like a defining moment for my filmmaking fandom. Like uh, just, it, it just changed everything. I, 
I'm not a Lord of the Rings book reader. I'm not like a, an obsessive with Tolkien. I, I'm just really more, it was more of what Peter Jackson brought to it. Um, and I think what Peter Jackson's vision combined with that epic story, uh, just never see anything like it. And at the end of the day, while there was a fantasy element to Lord of the Rings, it was the human element that really kind of sustained, right? And I think the the at the end of the day, Jackson never lost focus of the human story or the Hobbit story. Wait, 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 whatever you want to refer to. Is a Hobbit a human? I don't even know. How would no, you... it's a Hobbit. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. yeah I would... Cla- I, well, no, because there, human, are, there but... are, there's man, and then there's Hobbit. There's the okay. world of men. Like, like the world of men got one of the rings, and then the Hobbits got one of the rings. Like, there's men. Well, mother boxes. Okay, mother boxes. all right. All right, well, either way, I, I actually never pontificated on whether or not... Uh, <laughs> there's there's elves, Hobbit there's dwarves, there's Hobbits, yeah. there's man. <laughs> Yeah. Um, did you guys either did either of you interview Jackson? Not not for Lord of the Rings. Not for any of the Lord of the Rings. I was wondering no, if you guys got I, Jackson. I, I only did the first Hobbit junket. Kevin, did you ever? I I, I we I know we both got him the for Hobbits. the yeah. World War One documentary. Oh really? Um, oh yeah. yeah. Oh got we got it. Th- oh it was so it was cool too. Can I can I take two seconds? We they we did this great. They had this great setup for us. The set. Um, for the uh, Peter Jackson put together this amazing World War One documentary where he um, restored a lot of like old footage, and they they put us on this great set where like he and I like not he and I where he, he and myself or Kevin are sitting together, and then they had this tracking camera that went back and forth. So I originally was going to like ask for a picture with him, but then I realized like we have these I have six minutes worth of like two shots of this camera moving back and forth as he and I are speaking. Wow, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That was really cool. Yeah, that's that's right. Return of the King. Yeah, good pick. That's your favorite of the trilogy, Return of the King. Oh, no question. Yeah, but you know, but I'm weird. I like Die Hard three more than Die Hard one. I also like Indiana Jones three more than Indiana Jones one. I think a lot of people like. Well, I think a lot of people would say Return of the King. I don't think that's necessarily an unpopular. I mean, it's the only. It's it won Best Picture. Most people say Fellowship or Two Towers. I I think the general consensus on that. Well, we'll get to audience picks in a little bit, but looking at our interactions on social, it's pretty split between the three of them. Interesting. We've got, we've got mentions from all three. Yeah. Did so. anyone say none of them? Sean. You might have. <laughs> Jake, Jake, what's your pick? Um, like Kevin, I chose Lord of the Rings, but I'm going with Fellowship. Fellowship is my favorite. Um, again, not not I, there there are no bad Lord of the Rings movies. I would never knock uh, Return of the King. I love Return of the King is is a little too much action for me. I love the downbeats of Fellowship. I think I feel like for me, Fellowship was always kind of the most succinct movie. Um, and that it like it had a, a nice balance of the downbeats and the action, and I also just happened to love all of them together. After at the end of Fellowship, the the the, the downbeat that it ends on is that the Fellowship is broken and that they're all going in different directions. I like all of them together, but everything that Kevin said is absolutely spot on. That like the the world building, the cinematography, the shore, uh, the the shore score. Um, it I I can't hear that Shire thing without just like my heart just just feeling warmth. Um, and just some of the best collection of casting period. I mean, I, you know, I really wish that we lived in a world where Ian McKellen had won that Oscar for, for playing Gandalf, because I think his casting as Gandalf is genius, but also Viggo Mortensen and, and Elijah Wood and, and, and I mean, every, every one of that movie is just perfect. And also, um, you know, we, we compliment Nolan a lot for, for his practical effects, but I mean, the, the practicality Daenerys loves it too the practicality that that Peter Jackson you know from using the the the, the gorgeous scenery of New Zealand to 
genuinely having thousands of extras go through an incredible makeup process so that he didn't have to use CGI armies if he didn't have to, which granted mm. in some cases, obviously he did, but a lot of cases he didn't and they looked real. And it's, it's, he brought a fantasy world to life. Unlike anything I think we'll ever see. And, and Kevin, I don't know about you, but like, I remember, remember like there was a three year period where one came out at the end of every December Yep. And my parents would take me out of school early to go see it on opening day. They'd be like, okay, go get a couple of classes in and then we'll go, we'll go to like the, you know, the one o'clock show or whatever. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And, and that, 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 that three year stretch for me, it was eighth grade, freshman year and sophomore year. Um, yep. It was, uh, it was amazing. And I, I, I think, you know, we, we didn't get to experience short of the re-release. We didn't get to experience the Star Wars trilogy, but we got to experience the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that, that, that was a hell of an experience for me. And personally for me, I, I actually, in as much as I love Star Wars, I personally love Lord of the Rings more because of, because of how I experienced it. Sure. And I think a lot of it has to do with like, I got to watch that in real time yeah. as it was released. So yeah. the anticipation, and I knew nothing about the books. So when I went and saw fellowship and that cliffhanger or oh. when it ends, yeah, and you just wait that year, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, I yeah. cannot wait to see what's going to happen. Then, I kind of wish I'm, that they yeah. didn't reveal in the Two Towers trailer that Gandalf came back. Because I'm with you. I also yeah. didn't read the books, and I just I thought he was dead. Yeah, and so like that. And granted, to I me, get, yeah, sorry. yeah, and no, no, no. But 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 interestingly enough, I wonder if I was alive during Star Wars, if I'd feel differently about it. Like just when I'm looking at my like scope of my fandom, it's like Lord of the Rings is so high up there for me because of. Because I got to experience it in real time, I guess, if that makes sense. But You guys will get to relive something very similar to that beginning in December of 2022 when Avatar 2 lands in theaters. And then you mean the soon to, to be the highest grossing film of all time? And extends to uh, Avatars 3, 4, and, and 5. <laughs> The following, the, I was writing an Avatar story the other day, and I realized that Avatar Five has a December twenty twenty eight release date right now. So the the sequel to Avatar is like Inception style. So they're gonna they the the human goes into the Avatar, and then the Avatar goes into another Avatar. So we're like we're going like three levels, three level Avatar deep. Good. And then we're just gonna keep going. There's like time is gonna move slower with each one right. too. So. On the sixth level, the person is like in seven different avatars, and they have to like go back <laughs> to the to the other uh, audience picks. Randy Buss went with uh, probably the most classic of fantasy films of all time, The Wizard of Oz. Michelle Garrist, uh, Matthew Henderson went with Pan's Labyrinth. Max Great Avery. Choice said uh, the adventures of Baron Munchausen. June AD went with Legend. Calvin Lee and a bunch of other people who I saw picked Coraline. I kind of wanted to do an animated film because I thought animation really captures fantasy uh, better than live action does. But um, most of these picks are live action. Gregory D. Voigt went with The Chronicles of Narnia. Clint Tomerlin said Spirited Away and an incredible number of picks went to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, as Gabe pointed out, uh, to different installments of it. So much participation Be Before we week. move on really quickly, I, I, I don't know. I was curious if you guys felt like I did in that I... It, any movie that took place in space, I removed from consideration. Before anyone messages me and says, like, why didn't you choose Star Wars? To me, that automatically makes it a sci-fi film. Yes, I, there were a number of titles that I considered that I dismissed because they were more sci-fi than fantasy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yes. I, wanted, I was curious to see if you guys felt the same way. For next week, uh, reach out on Twitter or email us your picks at realblend.cinemablend.com using... It's funny that you say this, Gabe, because we are lost in a uh, show right now that I'll explain in a oh, second. Oh, really? Uh, this is hashtag... completely random. Hashtag Stanley Tucci blend. We're going to be playing uh, the films of Stanley Tucci. But what I would like to argue oh, is that is. his CNN show where oh, he eats great. his way through Italy is 
phenomenal. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's essentially uh, Guy Fieri, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, but with class. Like, it's <laughs> Stanley Tucci. What did Guy Fieri ever do to anyone? Hey, just sweet guy. I actually love that show. I legitimately love that show. And I like him. He raised, like, I did, like $25 million during, like, quietly during the pandemic. Yeah. He didn't tell anyone about it for uh, restaurant workers. So, like, he's he's always on my cool list now. He's a legit He's a legit good guy. Like, yeah. I, I don't mean to knock him, yeah. but I'm telling I did not tell you guys how much I love this show because I just feel like an old man watching stanley tucci eat pasta in different places around italy and learn that. about the history of it yeah it's, i would watch it's that i would watch fantastic that. oh my god he's so charming wait and he's everyone eating, loves him he just eating throughout why don't they just call it the hunger games <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm being serious like literally yeah, like that, it's that. like a missed opportunity <laughs> it really is it's a cnn thing and it's just called i think it's just called stanley tucci in italy or whatever it is but they pick a different region and he goes to it and he goes into different kitchens and he knows people all throughout Italy and they take him around different places where you have to eat. And it's you just know, Kevin, Kevin's phenomenal. right, though. It's a missed opportunity because at the end of every episode, Sean, don't they uh, make two kids fight to the death? They do. <laughs> um, now I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We have a review this week. Uh, this one comes from Philippe Medina and uh, it's called the subject is called It Finally Happened. I think that's really funny. Oh, uh, that's awesome. All right. Well let's done. see. Hey guys, I've known about this podcast for quite some time as I've been a big fan of Jake's going all the way back to his Houston Chronicle days. Growing hey, up. Hey, wow. Oh my God. That's my, how many years is that? 15 years ago. I stopped writing for the Chronicle 15 years ago. Did you really? Yeah. Growing up, my family and I were always known, excuse me, as the movie buff family, as our parents made a point to show us films that were important to them or that they appreciated. There were a lot of musicals and military movies in our household. As I graduated high school, I attempted to begin a journalism degree so that I may one day review films like you all. Soon, I learned traditional school wasn't my cup of tea, and I subsequently submerged myself in a service industry career working around 90 to 100 hours a week. Shout out to my fellow restaurant workers. I went to the guy who I went from the guy who saw three to four new movies a week and amassed a 956 DVD collection. To the guy who maybe saw three to four new movies a year, three to four new movies a year. When COVID-19 shut down dining back in March, I was completely lost and had no idea what to do with spare time, let alone how to enjoy it. So I started your podcast from the very beginning. God, I apologize for that, man, because we are rough in the beginning. Uh, yes, I've listened to every single word you all have published and have finally caught up. With each wow. new episode, I abided by your reviews and recommendations, watching the movies, whether new or old, so that I may catch up on the latest and greatest. It revived the young cinephile in me and brought me back a much-needed joy in my life. The only way I think the show could improve would be to bring back the guest hosts that you guys did back in the early days. You had one Latinx writer and one female writer, and that was the extent of your diversity. The show constantly brings up that much different movies will affect people in different ways. And as much as I love you four boys, I'm beginning to predict how each of you might feel about a certain film, since I know so much about you. And as a proud queer Latinx man, certain films like Spanglish or Weekend are films that I find incredible, but may not receive the recognition from you four straight white males, since you won't relate to them the way that I might. Perhaps this could be something addressed with the YouTube channel or even the premium shows. Regardless, I cannot thank you enough for producing this show. Sorry for being long-winded, but I wanted to let you know that Real Blend has helped me so much in this last year. At a time when we can be with 
When we can be with family the way we want to, your bantering and arguing about movies made me feel right at home, since it's identical to the way my three brothers and I act when we debate movies. One minute we may be screaming at each other due to differing opinions, and the next minute we all crack up at a really bad pun. Additionally, you boys were literally with me every step of the way as I pounded the pavements for months and months in search of gainful employment. You'll never know how much your show has lifted me and helped me keep walking when I was at my lowest. Much love and continued success to you all from Philippe Medina. That is unbelievable. Thank that, you so that much. Is a, uh, that, is a, that is the greatest hits album of, of uh, reviews that we've gotten. It really is. That's beautiful. Thank you, Philippe. That's uh, Thank you that's fantastic. Very much. I don't I don't think anyone else should send any reviews after that one. Really, <laughs> yes, that's gonna be really tough to top. Um our next premium episode is uh, a surprise. Meaning that Gabe hasn't made up his mind yet. Um, so you guys will figure out what it is on Monday. Again, if you want to access our premium episodes, they are at real blend uh bit.ly backslash real blend premium. And in the meantime, if you want to follow us on social media until we are back at this again, we are at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. We'll talk to you next week when maybe we can talk about a very special movie that we um, possibly have seen. Until then. You be. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.